and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church and we hope to be meeting in a new building somewhere in the Los Feliz area very soon in 2021. We are in a new phase of lockdown life. The first Sunday of each month will be a live Zoom service at 10.30am. Do join us for those. We found it to be pretty soul-restoring to get together in a way that feels real, virtual as they may be. The other three services of the month are pared down, consisting of just a talk and a song of worship. We plan to provide you with more online worship and teaching resources, and to pour our energies into more personal connections. We're praying for you, and we're here. Enjoy this week's podcast. On with our series in Acts. Just to uh, recap, we're considering a couple of questions in this series. The overriding kind of question is, what's the church actually for? Uh, and then each week we've been looking at uh, specific topics. So Hannah kicked us off with um, how the church, this gospel-centered community, is the antithesis of self-serving individualism. Ralph spoke about how it is the antithesis of self-serving greed. Last week we heard from Ricky Jenkins and his talk was really about uh, how the gospel, how the church is the antithesis of uh, self-serving racism. And this week, I want to talk about uh, how the gospel, how it infuses us, how it creates us into this uh, body of the church, uh, is the antithesis to self-serving power. Now, when we first uh, were dreaming about planting the church back in the heady days of 2016, feels like quite a long time ago, uh, we were toying with um, what values we wanted to say uh, this church um, had. And uh, we arrived at love, truth, and power. Got to have three. Uh, now, love and truth are pretty self-explanatory, not very controversial. But it was interesting to see how often people were actually quite um, unsure about what to feel about the power piece. It didn't always sit very easily. A bit of context. Coming from the UK, it's important to stress just how different... Uh, our church experience in my home country is to that here in the US. There is far less of a Christian influence on daily life in the UK. You could go weeks, months, years even, without any reference to Christianity in the church, uh, or the church rather, at all in the news. Only um, 25% of Brits believe in God or some sort of higher power, uh, and less than 5% actually go to church. By contrast, 80% of Americans believe in God, and 50% regularly go to church. 65% of Americans identify as Christians, whereas in the UK it's about half of that. And so there isn't this huge kind of um, Christian uh, influence in general daily life in the UK. In fact, um, the general cultural experience of church is that, that Christianity is probably okay, it does some nice things, but by and large, it's powerless and irrelevant. There was a um, sitcom in the UK called Rev, which is very good and actually probably quite an accurate portrayal of the church in the UK. And one newspaper described it like this. Rev gets to the heart of the modern church by exposing it as both a source of some goodness and a complete irrelevance. Ouch. So that is where we came from, and it's why we wanted to say from the outset 
No, the Church of the New Testament, and actually the Church we know, the Church we have experienced, is anything but a complete irrelevance. It is an infinitely potent force for good. So yes, one of the core values of it needs to be, it is powerful, it has power. However, as you can see, despite the weather today, we are no longer in the UK. And we realise that describing the Church as powerful here in America brings with it very different connotations. Now, church attendance and belief in God may be in, uh, on the decline in the US, but the Christian influence in this country over every aspect of life is still extremely potent, probably unlike any other uh, country in, on earth in that respect. And on the one hand, this is obviously great, isn't it? We, as followers of Jesus, are called to bring God's kingdom to every corner of culture. But on the other hand, there is... Um, this belief that the influence uh, that the church has can be used for ill and actually has been used for ill. There is abuse of power by Christians in the church. There is non-kingdom influence. There is empire building, both inside and outside, that really has nothing to do uh, with the gospel of Jesus. The evidence of this, of course, I don't need to go into. So in this context, and particularly also in a context where charismatic practices in particular, Holy Spirit, supernatural gifts, those sorts of things, of which we are big proponents, and any time that you come to a service at Bread, you will know that we always pray for people in the power of spirit. But when those have also um, sometimes been used illegitimately uh, as an abuse of power, for us to say that one of the values of Bread is power, quite understandably, uh, made a number of people feel a little uneasy. The worry was that it sounded like we were actually wanting the church to be somewhere that went after influence and power in the broken earthly sense of those words, that we were wanting power for its own sake and irrespective of the cost. And so often people would ask, can't we just stick with um, love and truth and, you know, forget the power? The short answer to that question is no, we cannot. Absolutely, we cannot. Because the Bible and our faith and our Holy Spirit will not let us. As Paul reminds the Corinthians, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. However, the nature of that kingdom power, that Holy Spirit influence, is the antithesis of, on the one hand, complete irrelevance, of course, but also it is the antithesis, on the other hand, of any abuse of power, of politicking, of self-serving power. Because God's power is unlike any other power the world has ever seen. It is a selfless power. It is a power for the other. It's neither self-serving nor abusive. It is a life-giving gift of God to a world in need. And it is a gift. It requires nothing in return like any other gift, and it is given without being, uh, without being deserved like any other gift. And so, if we're going to be of any use to anyone else, but also if we're going to be of any use to ourselves, because we also benefit personally to the degree by which we are empowered by His Spirit, we do need to take seriously the fierce potency of the Holy Spirit. Let us not be scared by it. Let us also not ignore it. 
because we must never settle for some goodness but basically complete irrelevance when it comes to our faith. I prayed for someone once, um, and that doesn't quite sound right, uh, I prayed for lots of people lots of times, but I prayed for someone, this particular person on a particular occasion, i.e. once, and I didn't know anything about them, I'd never met them before, but as I was praying I heard God say, um, pray for healing uh, because she's carrying some pain in her stomach. Now, she was crying quite a lot as we were praying, and as I did this, as I prayed for the, the pain to be relieved from her stomach, I just thought this is kind of emotional pain. She seems to be having quite an emotional reaction. But it was quite a powerful time. Clearly the Spirit was meeting her in power. She was shaking, and there was uh, sort of like this um, force clearly going through her, something that I've uh, known over the years to be signs that the Holy Spirit is meeting someone. Anyway, I prayed. I thought nothing of it. That was on a Sunday. I then heard... Uh, the, the next day she had gone to a pre-scheduled appointment uh, with her doctor on the Monday, the day after. And this was um, to monitor um, the cancer that had been um, growing in her body. In fact, she'd started off with um, having uh, cancer in her pancreas and it had uh, spread throughout her uh, colon, up her um, spinal column uh, and into her breasts. And she was riddled with the stuff. But at this appointment, the doctor was astounded because all the cancer had receded. She was expecting to have a double mastectomy and some other serious bits of surgery. The prognosis for her was not good at all. But at this appointment, all but a tiny bit of the cancer in one breast had pretty much disappeared. So much so that she could have just a tiny, tiny minor operation on her breast to remove the um, cancer. And she was given effectively a completely clean bill of health. I believe that is the power of God that the church is about. It's got nothing to do with me. I, I was just praying for someone. I'm only telling this story as a reminder to us of what I think we probably all do believe, that the kingdom of God is one of power, and that power is not just helpful, it is necessary to a world in need. It's the power of God that changes people's lives for good. And so, let's be people full of the power of God, who hold it not for ourselves, for our own ends, but who give it away, over and over again, abundantly, recklessly, and of course, selflessly. So, this is Acts 8, beginning at verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, 
May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in the many Samaritan villages. Now, we don't know a great deal about Simon the sorcerer. There were lots of legends about him in the early years of Christianity, that he went on to have fights, multiple fights with the apostle Peter, that he set himself up as a sort of second messiah, that he founded a Gnostic sect, and that he died jumping off the top of the forum trying to prove his occultist powers of flight, poor old Simon. But what we know for sure is that he lived in Samaria, he was a sorcerer, which basically means a sort of occultist, and that he had a lot of influence over everyone in the region. Luke, the author of Acts, says that all people, both high and low, gave their attention to him. And so by including this little detail about high and low, what Luke is basically stressing is that really everyone loved this guy. No one could get enough of him. Everyone loves The Crown on Netflix. It is impossible not to love The Crown on Netflix. It doesn't matter whether you're a royalist or a republican, whether you're rich or poor, young or old, you love it because it's brilliant. Even Meghan and Harry clearly love it. We've seen some of it. They haven't seen some. You can't see some of it. You see a minute of it, and then you have to watch every single episode of every season right to the end because it's so good. And Simon's occultist sorcery was similarly universally appealing. Now, the reason for this should not be a surprise because as a human race, this desire for the supernatural is hardwired into us. Humankind is actually made for it. Not the occult, of course, per se, but the supernatural. As a friend of mine once said, to be human is to be made for magic. Look at the films we love, the books we read. By and large, the ones that endure are the ones that go beyond the material and the here and now, to the wars in the stars and to the magical quests and the supernatural and the infinite. They have lasting appeal because they speak to something core to us. We are all made for something more. So it should be no surprise to us that everyone in Samaria was drawn to Simon the Magician. And it should be no surprise that nowadays people continue to be drawn to New Age beliefs or the occult or whoever your spirit animal may or may not be, because we are not just flesh and bone, we're spirit. And it's our spirits that are drawn to the magical, to the supernatural, to the spiritual. But what is telling is that when Philip turns up and preaches about the one true real magic man, to which all other spiritualities cannot even hold an incensed candle, when he speaks of the man who came from heaven, from outer space to earth, and rose from the dead, the whole host of these Samaritans drops Simon the sorcerer before you can say, I'm going to manifest my future. Because Jesus is the real thing. He's the one for everyone, and everything else is like a poor reflection. Deep calls to deep is how the psalmist describes the human longing for a connection to the presence of the divine. 
And even Simon the sorcerer ditches his very own sorcery and believes and is baptised. Because once you've tasted the real thing, nothing else quite satisfies. They are all, all of them, amazed by the miracles and powerful signs that Philip then performs. And this is all before they've actually received the power of the Spirit themselves. When they do receive the Spirit, in verse 17, the encounters are powerful. And we know these encounters must be powerful because, one, their effects are observable. Verse 18, you can't see something that isn't happening. Simon sees these power encounters, and secondly, Simon wants them for himself. What he sees is far more compelling than anything he's been involved in before. And so, if it is that the Holy Spirit was given to all of them, high and low, men and women, rich and young, rich and young, rich and poor, young and old, it's also given to you in exactly the same way as a free gift. There are no superstars in the kingdom of God. There are just normal people, just like you, just like me. The ones who do the stuff, the ones we read about, the ones we hear about, are simply the ones who have opened themselves to being used and are filled with the Spirit of God. Nothing more, nothing less. This is the whole story of the Bible. Pretty mediocre, weakish people who haven't got that much to say for them, plus some very, very weak, downtrodden people, and plus some more uh, kind of um, well-to-do people, people who have got something to say for themselves, but all of them choosing to make themselves servants to this power. And when they are met by the power of God, they do extraordinary things because his power is made perfect in our weakness. So, if you can breathe, you can be empowered. That is the only criteria for inclusion. It does not matter what your past looks like. It doesn't actually really matter what your present looks like. If you are willing to open yourselves to the Spirit, allow God to be God, allow the Holy Spirit to direct your paths, He will, and He will empower you to do extraordinary things. And we should expect encounters with the Holy Spirit to be powerful. And when they are, they are actually very helpful to us because they remind us in no uncertain terms who God is and who God isn't. The Holy Spirit is not someone we direct. The Holy Spirit is the one who directs us. Something, sadly, Simon did not grasp. Verse 19. Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, commentators are split on whether... Uh, what we should make of Simon's kind of apparent conversion. Verse 13 tells us that Simon believed and was baptised, but given what happens next, some people think, oh, he wasn't truly converted. Now, I have to think this is absolute codswallop and has more to do with our sort of fallen human desire to judge people and their status before God, even people we have never met before who lived thousands of years ago from the pages of the Bible. Uh, and it's also founded on this sort of erroneous belief that if you're truly converted, then you don't, don't go and make huge mistakes like Simon does here. The text, though, says something quite different, that he did believe and was baptised, and presumably he also received the Holy Spirit along with everyone else. It does say that the men and the women all received the Holy Spirit, and he was a man, so he did it as well. Um, I think it's important to take this at face value. The issue, of course, though, is that he reverts... So what he once was, not what he has now become. 
And I think this is the point for all of us, that none of us are immune. Just because we're Christians does not inoculate us against reverting to old patterns of behaviour. We can all be drawn away from the Spirit. We can all uh, perhaps not be drawn or lured by um, the abuse of spiritual power like Simon is, but we'll be lured towards something else. And so I don't think we should be shocked at all by the latest revelations of high-profile Christian leaders abusing their spiritual power. And I'm also not entirely sure that our righteous judgment is all that helpful. But we should mourn and grieve what has happened and how we got to this place. Because what these falls from grace are at their core are symptoms of a wider problem, namely that the church has forgotten who she is. No Christian leader should be falling off a pedestal, not because Christian leaders don't fall from time to time, they always have done, and sadly they always will do, but because in the kingdom of Jesus there are no pedestals. The story of the church is that the last will be first and the first will be last. The power of the Spirit is sought not for its own sake, not for what it does for us, but to be given away as a blessing to other people. As Paul says in his descriptions of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts are given for the common good, for the common good, for the common good, not the individual good. So, as I close, let me say three um, kind of ways in which we can apply all of this to ourselves. Firstly, let us avoid the temptation to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Many have said, understandably so, the Holy Spirit's power is so susceptible to being abused that we should just leave aside all talk and practice of the gifts and praying for people in the Spirit entirely. Let's just preach the gospel instead. But, one, from a biblical point of view, we can't do that because we are instructed, we are commanded to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus uh, commands us to heal the sick and to cast out demons. It's difficult to do that without the power of the Spirit. But, also from a missional point of view, the world needs us to be both gospel and power of the Spirit. We will always preach the gospel, but without the Spirit's power, people will necessarily turn to other detrimental and deficient spiritual experiences. And the church will become more and more irrelevant. Just look at Europe. So we must be both and. Secondly, please pray for Hannah and me as we um, try to lead this church. Please pray that not just, and I know that lots of people do pray for us, and we are incredibly grateful for you, but please pray not just that we um, are able to be humble, to avoid uh, the temptation to abuse our position or to walk away from the Spirit, but um, even more than that, I think, that the church that Jesus builds in bread is one where everyone sits down at God's table as equals, as we are each individually gifted and empowered to serve the common good. One of the mantras we've had from the beginning is that everyone gets to play, and the church is far more healthy when everyone is really at the same level. Followers of Jesus, trying to submit to him, and submitting to his spirit, and allowing him to fill us and use our gifts 
for the common good. And thirdly and finally, resolve to be people of the Spirit. Whatever your current experience is, take the courage needed to go on, to get more. There is always so much more of God for us, so much more of the power of the Spirit for us. So wherever you are, look to move a little bit further forward. If you've never taken the risk of allowing someone to pray for you in the power of the Spirit, and I know that all the lockdown and social distancing makes this difficult at the moment, but if you've never done that, could you take the courage to say, I'm going to open myself to experience the Spirit, to allow Him to meet me, to allow people to pray for me. And if you've never prayed for someone in the power of the Spirit, take the steps necessary to do that. Take courage. Learn how to pray for people, uh, as we do at the end of each of our services. We're asking the Spirit to meet people. Praying for the Spirit is like riding the bike. No, riding a bike. No one knows how to do it when they start. You've just got to get on and start pedaling and fall off a few times. And, and similarly, we just need to start praying for people. The more we do it, the more we see God at work using us. It's so much more fun than actually just being prayed for. Praying for people, incredible. God can use you. And similarly, if you've never prophesied, prophesy. If you've never prayed for healing for someone, do that. If you've never given a word of knowledge, do that. The more we do it, the easier it becomes. Because finally, the more we take seriously the power of the Spirit, given to all for the common good, allowing God to be God and us to be us, the more his kingdom will be built. But also, and this is the real payoff, the less we will abuse God's power. Because when the Spirit is at work, when he is flowing, there is freedom. Freedom from temptation, freedom from old patterns of behavior, freedom from sin. So, let us be people of power, selfless, self-giving power for the other. It's what we're created for, it's where we find life, and it's what this church is for, and what this world most desperately needs. Amen. Let me pray for us as we end. Maybe just take a moment, maybe just um, sit there in silence for a second with your eyes closed. You can hold out your hands as a sign of being open. There's no magic in these things. They're just a way we've found that helps people um, open themselves to the Spirit. And that's what we're doing here, opening ourselves to God. And as you do that, let me pray for you. Any cares you have, just leave them with him. Anything you need to uh, say sorry for, leave it at the foot of the cross and don't pick it up again. And let me pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence and we say that we need you. We acknowledge that you are God and that your power is infinite. And we ask that you would fill us once more. Equip us with all the gifts of your Spirit 
equip us with the power we need to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Lots of love. Bye. In the glory of your presence, I find rest for my soul in the Makes me